Thank you, Jesse. Good morning, Encounter Church. Go ahead and grab a copy of God's Word and uh, one of the Bibles there at the chairs or maybe uh, the copy that you brought uh, on your own from home and make your way to Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. This is our 25th week (laughs) going through the book of Acts. And uh, we will be wrapping up our study in the book of Acts next Sunday. So we'll be kind of doubling up a little bit on chapters 27 and 28. You'll find the book of Acts uh, there near the end of the Bible. It's in the New Testament. The Bible's divided up into two primary sections, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it all is about Jesus. The Old Testament is pointing toward Jesus. The New Testament is telling us about Jesus and also in anticipation of Jesus' return. And so we find ourselves here in Acts chapter 26, Uh, just a little bit of a sneak peek. Many of you already know, but uh, in a couple weeks we'll be starting our fall teaching series through the book of 1 Peter, which is a little bit further back into the New Testament, and uh, we'll be spending uh, most of September, October, November uh, going through the book of 1 Peter. So those of you who, uh, hopefully all of you, are studying God's Word each day, you can start reading and start studying that on your own I'd encourage you to do so but this morning we find ourselves in Acts chapter 26 and if I were to allow each of you to see my script up here you would see that my opening illustration line is blank and uh, sometimes that happens I think I just don't really have a, a, a good illustration and yet God is always so faithful and he provides one through Michael Fay and uh, not what, what Michael Fay said and Michael Fay, uh, during, his, um, during leading us in worship, which was so wonderful, uh, he said that Chip Swetnam made the comment, and this is the phrase, at least how I remember it, correct me if I'm wrong, that Chip said something to the extent of this. Do you mean I haven't told you that story yet? And what's Chip referring to? That he hadn't told Michael Fay the story of the person and how he came to know Jesus. And I wonder if, if maybe that is far too common for many of us. Do you mean I haven't told you the story yet of how Jesus changed my life? Right, I wonder if we were to ask our neighbors, would they know that story? of how Jesus has changed our lives. I wonder, maybe some of our co-workers that we see every day, do they know the story of how Jesus has changed our lives? I mean, we could add in names and faces of people, and I, I wonder this morning, as we start out looking at Acts chapter 26, I hope that God will work in our hearts in such a way that, that, that people will know the story of how Christ has changed you and me. In fact, my goal of this morning's, one of my goals of this morning's sermon is to challenge you, each of us in here, to extend a challenge for each of us to tell one person this week about Jesus, to tell one person about how Christ has changed your life and how Christ has changed my life, to even just invite one person to come to church with us, with you, so that we would not find ourselves in that situation where we wouldn't be able to say, Do you mean I haven't told you the story yet? Instead, they would just know the story so well of how Christ has changed my life that that they too would be able to share a story also. This morning, we're looking here at Acts chapter 26. And the big idea, all right, I've already told you my goal, right? The challenge that we're going to end up with, all right, I've kind of, it's like you've, you've read the back of the, the, of the book already, right? You already kind of know the punchline here, where we're going is that for all of us this week, that we would be challenged, that God would move in our hearts in such a way that we would just tell one person, all right? And this is like beginner elementary (laughs) introduction, right? This isn't hard. 
but that each of us would tell one person or invite one person to, to church, tell one person about our story. But the, the, the big idea for this morning's sermon, and this is hopefully will kind of help take some of the pressure off. We're going to see through, this, through our, our study this morning that we are to be faithful in, in witnessing and just simply trust, the result, trust God for the results. We're, we're going to see here that Paul, throughout the book of Acts, especially in these, these, these recent chapters that we've been studying, Paul has, pr- 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 has proved himself to be a courageous witness. We saw that last week in Acts chapter 25. Now we're going to see Acts as, or Paul as being a faithful witness, but we're going to see that Paul is not, he's not depending on his own efforts to change the person's heart. Instead, we're going to see at the end of the chapter how Paul leaves that up to God. In church, sometimes when we are sharing the gospel or when we are sharing our story, we take on ourselves the responsibility. We, we've convinced ourselves that it's, it's our responsibility to change that person's heart, but it's not. That's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is merely to share with them how God has changed our heart, to share with them how their heart too can be changed, and then extend the invitation to them and leave it up to them at that point. And so we need to be faithful in our task of sharing the story of how God has changed our hearts and your hearts and trust him for the results. So we find ourselves, we're rejoining our study here in the book of Acts, here in chapter 26, and over the past several chapters, we've been eyewitnesses, at least up to this point, to what was more or less a courtroom scene as we've followed the Apostle Paul in his defense as he's courageously stood firm there before the, the, the chief priests of the, of the Jews, the Jewish chief priests, and also before Roman governors and leaders. He's been standing firm. He's been preaching the gospel to them. At this point in our account, if you remember last week where we were at in chapter 25, Festus was at a point who's a Roman governor. Again, this is history, right? These are real people who really served in Roman positions, okay? So, so these, aren't, these aren't just made-up stories. These are stories that can be accounted for. We have Festus here who's a Roman governor who Paul is presented to and, and the, the Jews have presented their arguments against their, their allegations against Paul. And Festus says, I really, have no, I really see no reason to charge this man of anything. So at this point in our account, uh, it seems to be that there's a consensus between Festus and also King Agrippa, who we were introduced to last week and we'll learn more about this morning, uh, but that there's a consensus that, that really Paul is not guilty of any, any wrongdoing here. They just say merely there's a disagreement, there's a doctrinal disagreement between Paul and these, these religious rulers, these, these religious leaders, these Jewish uh, chief priests and leaders. And so, so Festus and Agrippa, they actually come to the point where they say, you know, Paul, you would have been left off the hook You'd be okay if you had not appealed to Caesar. And again, we, we've seen that already up to this point. Paul appealed to Caesar thinking he might not get a, a fair trial, but also Paul knowing that if he appeals to Caesar, that's going to give him a, a, an access to speak to the emperor himself. And what is Paul wanting to do? with the emperor, he's wanting to share the gospel. He's wanting to tell, right, the, the most powerful man of, of, of that historical time period. He's wanting to stand before him and tell him about what? The story of how Jesus has changed his life and how Jesus can change his life too. And so we see Paul is under protective guard and custody of these Romans here. And, and again, consistently, Paul is appearing before these people. And now we, we rejoin the account here in chapter 26 where Paul is standing before King Agrippa. And now King Agrippa is a Jewish king. 
All right. So I think that's important to keep in mind, too. So we have in this auditorium, the end of chapter 25 talks about how there were people gathered in this large auditorium where the Roman governor Festus is and the Jewish king of that day, King Agrippa and his sister Bernice, they come into they roll into town. And so Festus invites them and there's lots of pomp and circumstance. I I think we might even consider this event event to be like the Oscars or, or for us here in the Derby City, right? Around Derby time, we have all of these Derby galas and these balls and these, these parties where the rich and famous and those people of social standing that they show up to. And so I think as we read this, that's what we have to have in mind. Sometimes we read chapter 26, or you might be tempted to think about chapter 26 in this way, that it's just Festus and Agrippa, that Paul is only standing before maybe three people, but that's not the case. Paul is standing in chains as a prisoner before a room full of well-dressed people trying to strut their stuff who, who are there in this large gathering of high social standing where King Agrippa and Bernice, they've really kind of taken the center stage. I think the stark contrast between uh, the Apostle Paul as he's ushered into this room, the, the contrast between King Agrippa and the Apostle Paul Uh, it's hard to say that it could get much greater. We have King Agrippa who would have been wearing a very flowing purple garment to show the the picture of royalty. Purple was the, the royal color. King Agrippa there wearing this purple garment while Paul is there standing and he's covered in prison garb, prison clothes. You would have King Agrippa who is who is there on a throne in that position while Paul is standing there in shackles. You would have King Agrippa who's wearing his earthly crown while Paul is wearing these heavy chains. So from from an earthly perspective, you would say the contrast is great, and yet we know that Agrippa, the king, even though from an external appearance he appears to be free and in, and in control, we know that he is himself enslaved by sin while Paul, the prisoner, is rejoicing because he is free from the power of sin because of Christ Jesus. We know that the crown which Agrippa wore was an earthly crown that has since fallen away and rusted while Paul's earthly chains were replaced with an eternal crown that never will fade, perish, or perish. In that auditorium of, of high people, of social standing, right, there's, there's glamour and glitter, yet we know that Paul stood there as an ambassador of the King of Kings to whom every knee will one day bow and every tongue will one day confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Sometimes, right, I wonder if you and I found ourselves in that situation with such a great, right, such a contrast between where you're at wearing those prison garbs compared to those people of great social standing. I wonder how we would have responded in those, in that time. Sometimes I do wonder if maybe one of the reasons why we find ourselves hesitant in our witnessing is because we forget who we are in Christ Jesus. We forget the significance of the fulfilled eternal promises and the provision that await us, right? Sometimes do you ever feel intimidated by other people who maybe have great worldly wealth, who maybe have great status or or who sit in seats of power? Do they ever intimidate you, right? Sometimes, and maybe you're just a little bit sheepish, Or you shy away from sharing your story of how Christ Jesus has changed you, right? We forget that when all is said and done, church, the only thing that matters is Jesus. That's all that matters. And whether we've trusted in him or not, right? We sang the song, Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. You just sang that song, right? We sang it out together. 
Do you believe that? Do you believe that when it all is said and done, all that will truly matter is whether you have Jesus or not? So I think in our witnessing, we need to stop allowing ourselves to be intimidated by all of these temporary facades that will quickly fade away and will mean absolutely nothing and instead preach Christ and give them Jesus and let them hear our story. Well, there's several points to the story, to the account this morning. We're going to read through this together as we, or I'll read through it, you'll sit and follow along as I read. And we're going to look at, at how Paul faithfully shares the gospel and he, he just trusts God for the results. He leaves that up to the Lord. And, and the first point here is this, and is that we see how Paul tells how God has changed his life. And I think this is an application for us, is that we too should tell how God has changed our lives. Again, it's important to note as we dig into this chapter that while King Agrippa is in the spotlight of this chapter, and we should also recognize that there were many others, as I've already pointed out, there were many others in attendance who would have been watching and listening. They would have been lingering around. Again, it, it, because King Agrippa is there and because the Roman governor Festus is there, we see an intermingling. It's, it's, it's a crowd that is intermingled with Romans and also other Jewish leaders. It's very likely, and I think this is an important note as we read this, very likely it could have been that there, there were Pharisees in attendance at this meeting, at this gathering, some of the very same Pharisees that the Apostle Paul would have grown up with, would himself have even studied with. Because if you remember, Paul himself was a Pharisee, wasn't he? Right? He, he calls himself, right? He's the, the chief of sinners. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And he, there before God stepped in and changed his heart, there on the Damascus Road, he was on his way to persecute the church. He was a, a good Pharisee. And so I think that even changes your understanding, gives you a little bit more depth to chapter 26 as we read it, when we consider the fact that some of the very same people whom Paul was aligned with are there in that crowd too, hearing him share how his life has changed. And we also are reminded it also means that those who were seeking to murder Paul Remember, they were trying to get him to get back to, Ju to Jerusalem so that on the way they could ambush him. That some of the very ones who were devising that plot, they too would have been former colleagues of Paul as well. I think this, this context is very helpful for us as we begin reading now in chapter 26. Follow along with me as I read there verses 1 through 8 says, then Agrippa, okay, they're in this auditorium, lots of people around. Then Agrippa said to Paul, King Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. And so Paul motioned with his hand and he began his defense. He said, King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. He says, the Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child. From the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify if they are willing that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. Now just think now, again, who's in the audience? 
right? There are, there are people in the audience that Paul is speaking to, right? He's, he's directing his conversation to King Agrippa. Others are listening, and they probably, right? He's, he's bringing to their mind, right? Young little Paul, that young little whippersnapper Pharisee, right? Running around, and he's, he's, he's living as he should, as a good Pharisee, as a good Jew, right? He says, and yet now, they're continuing on. He says, and now, it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? Uh, again, so he's speaking, okay, so, so even there in verse 8, right, he says, why, you almost get this, uh, this sense that he's speaking directly to, court, to King Agrippa early on, but then it's kind of like he broadens his lens a little bit, and he steps back, and he says, why should any of you, speaking to maybe some of his former colleagues, why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? They believed, right? The, the Old Testament Jews, the Pharisees, they believed in a resurrection, the problem is, is that they just failed to believe that Jesus came as the resurrection and the life, the, the first root, the forerunner of our one day resurrection, those who are in Christ Jesus. And so Paul here is, he is saying that my hope is in the resurrected Jesus. That's his message, that Jesus is alive, that on the third day he rose from the grave. And so as Paul is presenting as, as Paul is giving his defense here, his argument really is, is directly in line with their beliefs. He's saying, I've not gone off the rails from your understanding. He's, he's saying, right, what I, I believed in the Holy Scriptures, in the Old Testament Holy Scriptures. I believe in the promises of the prophets, and so do you. All Paul is saying, right, Paul is just saying that all of that pointed to Jesus, that the long-awaited Messiah is Jesus. And so Paul is saying this. He's saying, I was right where you are today. He's, he's identifying himself with where they're at. He's saying, I too refuse to believe in Jesus and the resurrection and the life. And that's where, and then in verse 9, he goes on. He says, I too was convinced that what? That I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. He says, on the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time, I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And listen to this. He says, I tried to force them. That's going to come into play later. He says, I tried to force them to blaspheme. He says, I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities, right? Paul is identifying himself with his Jewish heritage. He's identifying himself with many of the Pharisees who had a hatred, who had an obsession, right? Those Pharisees who were obsessed with killing Paul. Paul says, I was, I was right there with, with you. Paul is describing himself as one who, who too was obsessed with persecuting Christians. His hatred towards Jesus and the Christians, it controlled him. Probably, again, some of those who were in the audience probably were shaking their heads in agreement, remembering how the old Paul, who was known as Saul, what his life used to, to be like. And then go on in verses 12 through 14. Paul continues, he says, On one of these journeys I was going to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priests about noon, King Agrippa, again, so he's talking to King Agrippa. He says, about noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven that was brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Verse 15, then I asked, who are you, Lord? Church, we are familiar with this story, aren't we? Right? Many of us in here, we're familiar with the story. If you've been traveling along with us for the last several months, you are familiar with the story from the book of Acts because this isn't the first time that we've heard Paul share his testimony. That Paul, it was a regular practice for Paul 
to share his story with other people. That Paul wasn't the type who would say, wait a second, do you mean I haven't shared that story with you? Because Paul just made it a regular practice. Church, I want you to know that one of the most helpful ways for you to tell people about Jesus is by simply telling other people your story. Telling them your testimony, telling with them how your life has been changed by what Christ has done for you. And my encouragement, okay, so here's another encouragement to you, is for you to think about what is your testimony? To write it down. To, to, right? and, and, doesn't, and, and I'm not talking like a nine-page research paper here, right? I mean, I'm, I'm talking like four or five sentences. The type of elevator testimony. That in between the first floor and the twelfth floor, you would be able to give someone a glimpse into how Jesus has changed your life. And you might say, well, Michael, it's not etiquette to, uh, to talk on the elevator. <laughs> no, but it's not etiquette according to the world standards to tell people about Jesus either. So it's okay. If they're going to the 12th floor of the, uh, of the building, they're not going anywhere either. I mean, they're not going to jump out the door as the elevator's moving. You've got a captive audience. Share the gospel with them. You see, I think one of the greatest testimonies to Paul's story is that you have standing before this crowd of onlookers of whom Paul himself would have identified with just a few years previous. Where the persecutor is now in the position of the persecuted. And yet he is still standing firm in the gospel. Church, that's a powerful testimony where he was willing to trade the social status for the chains of a prison. Church, you only do that if Jesus has indeed changed your life. And so I think here, what do we see? We see how how Paul is telling them how God has changed his life. He says, Jesus met me on the road to Damascus as I too was in line with what you now are doing even on this very day. He says, but God has saved me from that. And so Paul tells them his own testimony. Church, let your testimony and the example of a changed life declare the power of a resurrected Savior. And don't believe the lie that your, your testimony is insignificant, right? Sometimes we think, well, I don't, like, I wasn't saved from drugs, you know? Like, I wasn't, I wasn't in prison. I, it's like, no, the fact, just, just think about this. If God has changed your heart, that's a miracle. I grew up in the church, I had parents who pointed me to Jesus, who taught me the truths of Scripture, but yet the very fact, that my heart was, I needed a heart change too, just as much as, an, as, as a convict who's spending time in federal prison needs Jesus. I needed Jesus just as much as they do, maybe even more. And my testimony is just as powerful, is just as significant as theirs is. And if Jesus has changed your life and if he is continuing to change your life, you have a story to tell. And Paul says, Lead off with your story. Well, next we see, the next point then is, right, as we're trying to figure out how to be faithful witnesses and trusting the results to God. That's kind of the overarching theme here of chapter 26. Well, next we see that, that the apostle Paul then, he, he begins by telling his story of how God has changed his life, and yet now he's going to be obedient to this gospel task. And we see this in verses 15 through 23. We see Paul's response to Jesus changing his heart is one of obedience, right? And even before King Agrippa, even before the governor Festus, even before all these other high and mighty social people of earthly power, what we see, we're going to see is that Paul doesn't soften the gospel message, right? Have you ever been tempted to kind of soften the gospel message a little bit, right? 
thinking that, man, if I tell them that uh, they're living a sinful life, uh, they might not like me anymore, or I, I, I might offend them a little bit, right? right? If I point out to them that, that they are, they're living, that what they're doing is wrong and it's not pleasing to the Lord, they might, they, they might defriend me on Facebook or they might not talk to me anymore, right? Sometimes we are tempted to soften the gospel, but, but church, understand, like, if people don't know their need, if, if people don't understand that, that they're sinners, then why do they, then they'll never know their need for a savior. And so what we see here is that Paul is going to be faithful to the gospel, to the good news. He's going to share what needs to be said. And so follow along with me now. We'll read it starting in verse, pick it up again there in verse 15. And so Paul says, then I asked, who are you, Lord? Right? We're there on the Damascus Road. He's sharing his testimony to King Agrippa. He says, then I asked, who are you, Lord? And Jesus responds. He says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. He says, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. But I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. What? So that they might receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now let's just stop right there for a little bit and unpack a few of those points. First of all, we see Jesus identifying himself with the believers, doesn't he? Jesus, he says, Paul, Paul, or Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Well, well, Saul might say, but I'm not persecuting Jesus. I'm persecuting the people who follow Jesus. But right there, we see that our Savior identifies himself with his church, that we are, that Christ Jesus is in us, and we are in Christ Jesus. And by Paul persecuting the believers, Jesus says, Paul, you are persecuting me. And then we go on in, in verse 17. Jesus is giving this promise. He's, he's giving this charge to Paul's life and saying, you're going to go and tell people about me. And yet, verse 17, Jesus gives this promise to Paul. He says, I will rescue you from your people. There's this, this understanding of divine protection that God has his hand on Paul's life. And we learned last week that God has his hand through divine providence. God has his hand on all of our lives as well. And so we can be courageous in our witnessing. And then verse 18 is very important because now Paul is getting into some of the nitty gritty of, of, of the good news. But what is he doing? In a sense, he's kind of sharing bad news with King Agrippa. Because he says that Paul's purpose, that God has, has given Paul this purpose to do what? To open their eyes, to open non-believers' eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that what they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Verse 18 is a rich verse. Through this, Paul is helping them to understand that if they don't believe in Christ Jesus, or actually he's telling King Agrippa, right now, King Agrippa, your eyes are blind, that you are a spiritually blind person. He's telling King Agrippa, again, if anyone's paying attention here, right, these people are going to understand, wait a second, so what you're saying, Paul, is that I'm a blind person, that I am spiritually blind. Paul then also is telling them that they're living in darkness, that they're currently living in a darkened spiritual state. Paul is also, and this probably would have really ruffled their feathers, where Paul then goes on and he says that right, by telling you the gospel, the power of Jesus will change you. And what will it do? It will release you. It will set you free from what? The power of Satan unto the freedom that's found in God. And so if, those, if, if they're listening, if they're hearing this, and they're not believing in the risen Savior, what is Paul telling them? Paul is saying that they are living under the rule and reign of, of Satan himself. He says, so that you may receive forgiveness of sins. There, what's Paul saying? That you're, all of those sacrifices that you've been making in the temple, 
for all of these years, all of that blood that you have spilt on that altar, that has been spilt on that altar, all of those things that you have, have, have placed, that you have trusted to forgive you, it's not forgiven you. It's only pointed to the one who can forgive you. And so, so what Paul is saying, he is calling them, he is saying, come and believe in this. Believe in these things. So verse 18, it's such, a, it's such an important verse for us to see. We have to see that when, when we share the gospel with people, they have to understand that, that sin is real and that we need to be released and, and that we need to believe in Jesus Christ. And so we have to understand, right, as we witness, man, these are hard truths that we have to share with people, aren't they? These are truths that, that we, can't, we can't meddle with this. We can't, we can't neglect our responsibility. And King Agrippa is speaking hard truths to high people here. Then in verse, we, we, we continue on here. As we continue reading now, he says, right? What does Paul say? He says, so then... King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. Paul says, I'm sharing these things with you out of obedience. Church, when we share the gospel, when we share the good news of Jesus with other people, it's out of obedience. Yes, it's out of love. Absolutely. But at the same time, it's out of obedience. He says, so, so then King Agrippa, I was not obedient to the vision from heaven. He says, first to those in Damascus and then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea. I think that's interesting there in verse 20, what it says, first to those in Damascus. That, right, where's, where was Paul going as Jesus got a hold of his heart? He was going to Damascus, right? And as soon as he gets to Damascus, what does he start doing? He starts sharing the gospel. He starts sharing his story, right? Some of us feel like maybe I need a college education or a seminary, seminary degree before I can start sharing my story of how Christ has changed my heart. But that's not the case for Paul. The same day, Paul is telling people of how Christ has changed his heart. And so he says, first, verse 20, he says, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and all Judea, and then to the Gentiles. He says, I preach that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. Okay, again, we're not just giving God lip service and saying, I believe Paul is saying that a changed life will show itself through changed actions, through changed lifestyles, through a changed way of living. He goes on, he says, that is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. He says, but God has helped me to this very day, so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. He's saying, again, he's, again, he's going back to his Jewish heritage. He's saying, I am saying nothing beyond, he is saying, I, I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. That the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. Church, right, if we soften the message, then we dull the scalpel of the one who is doing the surgery on the heart. And we have to be willing to share the bad news so that we can then also share the good news of Jesus. On Monday of this last week, my family enjoyed the state fair, right? How many of you, maybe you went to the state fair. Maybe, if you, uh, maybe some of you stayed away from the state fair. But as, uh, we were given uh, some tickets and had a wonderful time at the state fair. And while we were at the state fair, uh, we went through in the commercial one, the commercial buildings where you have all those booths set up. And of course, right, some of my boys enjoy going around and pillaging all the free stuff from all the different tables. And they come back and want to show me all this junk, uh, all these free things that they've bought, that they've got. 
And, uh, and I, I, I'm only waiting for my phone to b- start blowing up from spam calls because my name, and my name and my phone number was entered into countless drawings, all right? So I'm sure the junk mail is on its way. Uh, but while we were there, we had a conversation uh, with, a, with a gal at one of these booths and uh, having a very pleasant conversation with her. And um, our twins were wearing their school shirts, New Song Christian Academy. And uh, she asked, she said, where's New Song at? And we told her where New Song is at and, and continuing the conversation. And then she began to uh, share her story. I'd never met this gal before. But she started sharing her story, a few of the highlights, what she shared. She said, I've, I lived the last 38 years of my life chasing happiness, living for myself. These are words, these are phrases that she was using. She said, I was successful, but I found myself empty. She said, but a friend of mine never never gave up on me and continued to share the gospel with me. And a year ago, I finally believed in Jesus and surrendered my life to him. She shared her story with us, again, complete strangers. And then she asked us a pointed question. Again, I'm standing there with most of my family, my parents. And she asked this question. She says, she said, has anyone tried to tell you about Jesus recently? And we said, no. And of course, and, and then she asked, she said, well, are you, are you followers of Jesus, right? Do you believe? And we said, of course, yes, right? A hearty amen or like, you know. And she said, she said, um, she said, no one comes to me and tries to tell me about Jesus. And this next line that she said got me. She said, don't you find it strange that Christians don't try to share the gospel. She continued and she said, we know the answer of the mystery of life. We have the hope that people are searching for and yet no one even tries to share about Jesus. Man, that was, conv- that was convicting. That hit me, right? Right? And I hope it hits you too. Right? No, she she said, don't you find it strange that Christians don't share the gospel? Right? Maybe you went and ate at a good restaurant this week. I've got a good feeling. You probably told someone about that, that, that steak you had at that good restaurant. Maybe you saw the good movie this week. Maybe you saw a great play on, on, on one of the games this week. I bet there's a good chance that you told someone about that. And yet here we have these words in my ears that ringing, don't you find it strange that Christians don't tell people about Jesus when we have the hope of the world? When all is said and done, all that's going to matter is whether we have Jesus Christ or not. That's it. The children are excited about this news too as we can all hear them stomping over there. But that we should be obedient to the task. All right, the final point here. All right that we should be confident in the power of the gospel to change hearts. In this final section of verses, Paul calls for a response. He's standing in a room that's filled with people of high social status, and yet their souls are completely bankrupt. Looking square in the eyes of King Agrippa, Paul is going to invite Agrippa to believe in Jesus, the risen Savior. Here we go, verse 24. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. He said, you are out of your mind, Paul. He shouted, your great learning is driving you insane. Church, let's not forget that the world, believing in Jesus Christ, the world is going to say is foolishness. All right, so there we have the example of it. Festus says, you are a foolish man, Paul. Verse 25, uh, Paul continues. He says, I'm not insane. Most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things and I can speak, and I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice. Because it was not done in a corner, right? In other words, like, like this Jesus movement has not been hidden away, right? This was not dreamed up in the darkness of a cave by a single solitary person. This was all done in the public. And he says, King Agrippa surely knows and understands. And so then, then so he looks, at, he looks at King Agrippa 
And he says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? He says, I know you do. And then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, right, again, think of the scene, that not only you, King Agrippa, but Paul then looks around the room and he, and he fans his arms out He says, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. The king arose and with him the governor and Bernice and those sitting with them. And after they left the room, they began saying to one another, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar, but by God's grace Paul was standing there before him declaring the good news of Jesus. Why was Paul able to stand before King Agrippa and invite him to believe? Because Paul believed in the power of the gospel. He was confident in it. Paul knew that if God was able to forgive him and change his heart, then God could forgive and change anyone's heart. And that's true for all of us. Church, hear me out on this. If God has changed your heart, he can change anyone's heart. Don't believe that your heart was so spotless and so squeaky clean that it was easy for God to change your sinful heart. That's not true. That if God can change my heart, God can change anyone's heart. Paul knew the power of the gospel. Later in Romans chapter 1, Paul exclaimed, he said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why is he not ashamed of the gospel? He says this, because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Paul, he presents the gospel. He calls them. He says, listen, I'd, I'd, I'd love for you to respond. But notice he doesn't coerce them, right? Now, now rewind a little bit. I said, keep this in mind. As he's a Pharisee and as he's marching on his way to Damascus, what does Paul do? He said that he tried to force people to blaspheme against God. It's like in the old way, it was all up to him. It was all up to, to strength. It was all up to power and coercion and, and fear that we're going to get these people to change their minds about Jesus. But at this point, Paul says, no, I just trust the gospel. I trust the power of God. I trust that the power of the risen Savior is able to change the heart of the person who I'm sharing the gospel with. So he's no longer trying to coerce. He's just faithfully sharing his story. So my conversation with the gal at the fair was a good gut punch. It was a holy, sanctified gut punch. And uh, then on Tuesday morning, I made a trip to Home Depot, who I know many of the people there by name for various reasons. And uh, as I'm getting ready to go to Home Depot, going to Home Depot, I told myself, today, Michael, you're going to invite the cashier to church and I grabbed one of these little business card invitations I'm, I'm like I'm gonna do it because even for me I, I'm sorry church I hate to admit it but I wish I could say I'm Billy Graham I'm not but you get nervous about these things I think we're all probably there together aren't we so I said no uh, don't you find it strange that Christians don't tell people about Jesus I'm hearing that those words ringing in my ears, and I thought, Michael, you got to tell people about Jesus. So I got one of these little cool little invitation cards to church that I'm going to go tell Patricia, who's there every morning. And uh, so I got my things, and I circled around, and there were a few people lined up. I thought, no, that's not the right time. So I went and circled and just kind of meandered. I mean, Home Depot is like a toy store for me, so I don't mind doing that. And then the line opened up, and so I went in there, and it's almost like God just kind of set the table for me. The conversation just lent its way, just, just went that direction. And so I strategically placed it, maybe call me a bad person, you know, it's right there in my wallet. So as it, you know, it kind of falls out, and like, oh, you know, Patricia, you got to think these things through, folks, <laughs> you know. All right, so it falls out, and I said, hey, Patricia, I said, you know, I've never invited you. Uh, to, to my church, the church I'm a part of. And I said, I would just love for you to come. You know what? She kindly accepted that invitation. 
right? I didn't coerce her. I'm not going to coerce her. I'm not going to feel guilty. I'm not going to make her feel bad. I'm not going to say, hey, where were you on Sunday? You know, missed. I mean, some of you I might do that too, but not, right? <laughs> because you're part of the family, right? When you're not at the dinner table, I go looking for my children, for the kids. And uh, just faithful, faithful, right? Again, right? What, what is it? Get it up there. Faithful in, in what? In witnessing and trust God for the results, right? This last spring, I put seeds in the ground and I didn't try to coerce the seeds to grow, I, didn't, I, just, I just planted the seed and I trusted that God would bring a harvest. And yesterday I went and got tomatoes because I planted the seed back in the spring. Just, and that's, all, that's what you do. You just, you just were faithful in the witnessing and telling people our story and trust God for the results. We don't coerce. We just trust. So it went well with the cashier lady. And so I'm walking out to my van. I'm like, wow, let's give this another try. You know, I, I felt like, there was a guy who he had walked into the Home Depot when I walked in, and he's walking out of the Home Depot. Right? He's getting his things, putting his stuff on, on, the, back of the, on the, the back of his truck. I went and got another one of these invitation cards, and he had a big, he, big old beard, wonderful head of hair, this big old mullet. I mean, just makes a bald man weep, a big beard. And so I went, and that's a good connecting point. You know, you uh, appreciate the beard. And at least I do, maybe not all of you, but I do. And, and so, I, you know, I'm, I'm talking to him and I said, listen, I said, I just want to, never met you. I said, but I just want to tell you, I just would love for you to come to our church. I gave him a card. He stops there in his tracks. And he said, man, he said, uh, you wouldn't believe it. He said, but just yesterday, someone else tried to tell me about Jesus. Just yesterday. He said, God must really be trying to get a hold of my heart. He said, because now you invited me to church. And I looked at him and said, man, I said, don't harden your heart to that. He said, yeah, he said, I've been four years sober. He said, I've done this, the 12-step program. I always get stuck on the fourth step. He said, I used to go to church. I fell out of, I fell out of, of going to church and I've fallen away. And he said, it seems like maybe God's trying to get my attention and trying to get me back to church. I didn't do anything in church. I complimented the guy on his beard. I just, I just said, hey, just want to invite you to church. I want to share how Jesus has changed my life. Church, that's it, right? Why, why should we expect a harvest if we're not planting the seeds? Right, you would call a gardener or a farmer insane if he walks out during the fall harvest season and is upset and frustrated at God for there not being any crop to bring in. You would call him insane. You'd say, well, well, what kind of seed did you plant? Well, I didn't plant any seed. Well, you would say you're an insane farmer. So church, why do we expect our neighborhoods, why do we expect our communities to be changed if we're not faithful in our witnessing. So one person. All right, I've gone longer than I should. One person, church. One person this week. Share your story with. Maybe it's even parents sharing your story with your children because they've never heard how you came to know Jesus. Maybe it's sharing with a coworker. Maybe it's inviting someone out for lunch. Maybe it is for you just the simple invitation. Here's a card. We'd love to have you come to church. Would you pray with me? God, uh, Lord, Father, I pray now that uh, your spirit would do his work in our hearts. Continue to move. Uh, here with, within us, with us, through us. Help us, Lord, to be faithful. Help us to obey your word. Not my words, not my illustrations. God, your word. May your spirit lead us in that. In Jesus' name, amen.